Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hey, what's going on, Giants fans? Welcome to the latest episode of our Talk is Cheap podcast uh, from the Star Ledger, NJ Advanced Media, NJ.com. It's Wednesday evening right now. Daryl Slater here with you, Bob Brookover. On the other side of the glass, such as it were, to borrow the Steve Summers line. Um, yeah, so obviously everyone knows Giants won in five. Daniel Jones didn't play in Buffalo. They've lost four straight games. Season's pretty much over. Uh, only three teams have started one and five and made the playoffs, obviously. Different situation now with 17 regular season games, seven teams in the playoffs. But anyway, the Giants have a big hill to climb, clearly. Um, their offense is a mess. Um, Brian Dable is not changing play callers. He's going to let Mike Kafka supposedly still call the plays. And yeah, and it's not clear if Daniel Jones will return Sunday. He was a limited participant in practice today here Wednesday. Um, let's not make too much of that just yet. He has to be cleared for contact. You know, football is a contact sport. It, 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 you know, unless you're talking about the dumb version they're going to play in the Olympics. Um, so, uh, yeah, the, the, Bob, I think, you know, we can kind of talk about where the Giants are at, but also, and we could spend some time here talking about how they make the most of these final 11 games. Me here, you there. There to, you go. <laughs> uh, uh, to keep with our Steve Summers theme. Um, yeah, th- th- there are a lot of things, you know, that they can do to, to make this season not a waste. But one of them, you know, the, the it, it's not going to be the playoff season uh, that so many hope for, which – you know, if you're a giant season ticket holder, it has to be devastating. You're you're about to go to your third game. Your team's one and five, um, and the first two performances, your team got outscored sixty four to three. But now you got a third game, and you know you, you still want to see a team that heads in the right direction for the rest of the season. And also, bigger than that, even is you want to see, especially young players uh, who. Um, have a future here, show that they are capable of being good, solid NFL players. And in a lot of ways, you know, not not just them, but you're, you know, you're also looking at a Daniel Jones. You got decisions to make about free agents. You got trade deadline stuff to deal with here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but most important on that list, I think, is is how young the young players uh, look for the final 11 games of the season. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty clear the Giants are not ready to take the next step into like this legit contender status. I mean, since they beat the Vikings in the playoffs last year, they're 0-6 against playoff caliber teams. You know, they also beat the Cardinals, who are terrible, and they needed an epic second-half comeback to to do that. So 
Um, they didn't get blown out for a change in Buffalo. They did lose, obviously, you know, and they were playing Tyrod Taylor backup quarterback. So that plays into it. Um, but the schedule, and you, as you wrote earlier this week, starts to ease up a little bit. Um, granted, the Giants are a team that struggled, right? So you can't assume any wins, but back-to-back home games next two weeks against Washington and the Jets. Then they go to Vegas uh, to play the Raiders. Then a challenging one, of course, in Dallas. Um, and then at Washington and versus New England versus meaning at home uh, before the bye week. So after a gauntlet of the first six games where they played um, four of those games on the road, and five of those six were against tough teams, and three of those five were on the road. The Giants here now in these next six games, you know, you look at it and say, obviously some of these the Jets are pretty good. The Commanders, I mean, none, none of these teams, you're not talking about the Panthers, but out of these next six, like you only look at one and say like, yeah, hard to see them winning in Dallas. Uh, the other five, like if you could say winnable, I think they're winnable. Um, but that's where they're at right now. And like you said, I mean, it's not so much about the wins and losses. Like obviously if they string together six wins, wow. Okay. Uh, but it's about seeing this, 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 what might be your core or like your foundation, uh, start to play better, uh, against some of these teams where you'd think they should start to play better against them. Yeah. I mean, that's really a big part of it. And, you know, at least the defensive side of the ball, can right now, especially after that Buffalo game, say they're heading in the right direction. And and I don't think it's it's just a Buffalo game. I mean, if if you go back to the Seattle game, um, you know, that, that game was – the defense really allowed 14 points in that game. Um, they gave up a ton of yards against the, the Dolphins, so it's hard to give them too much credit for that game. But they got three takeaways in that game. And, uh, you know, only we say, but gave up 31 points to the to the Dolphins um, who are routinely scoring. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to say mass quantities, which makes me think of an old Saturday Live skit of uh, the, the Conehedge drinking beer, mass quantities of beer. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the Dolphins score will. So, I mean, they, the defense has shown signs. Uh, and even the 49ers game, they weren't horrendous. They, again, they gave up a lot of yards, but they gave up 30 points to a, a really good team. Um, you know, so the, the – but then against the Bills, they played a, a really, really solid game. Uh, they got two takeaways there. They they held the Bra- or the Bills under 300 yards, um, you know, and and made Josh Allen have a really difficult game. It might have been Josh Allen's worst game since opening day against the Jets. Um, you know, when he when he really when he had three three interceptions in that game. So, I mean, if you're looking for things bright spots, and there's not many bright spots when you're one of five, but the defense and sp- specifically some individuals on that defense. Uh, with Bobby O'Karake being at the top of the list, he looks like an impactful linebacker that the Giants had hoped to sign it, sign when they signed him. Um, and yeah, I'm going to write about tomorrow about Micah McFadden, who, who kind of came along. He was in the right place, right time on Sunday uh, for two turnovers, the first two takeaways of his career. Um, but also, in, in addition to that, played played a very good game. Uh, besides just the two takeaways, had the best PFF score in an 87.9 grade, which was the best of his career. Um, so, you know, there are signs for the defense, the offense, on the other hand, uh, obviously they didn't have Daniel Jones on Sunday, but they haven't scored a touchdown since the second, third quarter of the game against the 49ers. We're going, 
you know, we, we, that's that's three games plus uh, without a touchdown, and you're not going to win any games in the NFL doing that. Yeah, definitely not. And so we, we can just hit the defense a little bit here because we'll, we'll get to all the offensive stuff and all the problems. But, like, yeah, I think that there are certainly some glimmers with young guys on this defense. And as you go through this <clears throat> list of guys with sort of a forward-looking thing here in terms of, you know, look, it's before Halloween. It's still 13 days to Halloween. And uh, the season's over. Like, okay, so, like, we're not going to sit here and, like, go nitpicking the Tyrod Taylor play and should that have been pass interference? Like, uh, it's however many days after the game, folks, quite frankly, who cares? Okay, they lost the game. They're one and five. You know, <laughs> we're not going to go down the rabbit hole of that or, like, the end of the first half. Okay, well, does that reflect on coaching? Yeah, maybe it was a screw-up. Okay, but they lost the game. The last 11 are, are really about looking toward next season. Unless they somehow find a way to win eight, go eight and three. They're not going eight and three. The only way they're in the playoff mix is if they go eight and three, period. End of story. Not happening. Okay. So as you look at this defense, you've listed a couple guys who I think are intriguing. I mean, Okereke will obviously be back. Mikey McFadden's shown some value. But as <clears throat> so, like, as we go down the, the, the list here, it'll be really interesting to see how they build around Dexter Lawrence. And obviously they're not going to invest like big money or a big pick into that D line. I think they're going to wind up letting Leonard Williams walk. I doubt they can trade him. His salary is 18 million bucks. They're not going to be able to move that. Um, And then like in terms of their other guys up front, like they need to figure out is Kayvon Thibodeau an impact player the rest of the year? Number one, number two, Aziz Ojolari can't stay healthy. So at what point do they just decide they've got to do something else there in terms of bringing someone else there? I, you know, what do you, what are your thoughts on where the, the defensive front stands? Cause we kind of touched on the linebackers there a little bit. What about the guys further up front there? Yeah. I mean, I would agree with you that, that Leonard's probably in his last days of a giant as a, as a giant, I mean, not necessarily going to get traded because it'd be very hard to trade with that contract. But I think he's in his last season as a giant. Um, I'd be surprised if he wasn't. That's a it's a little scary, bit of a scary thought to think about though, because he's still playing at a pretty high level. Not at, he is. He's not at the same level as Dex, uh, but he's playing at a pretty high level still. Uh, so you know, if you if you get rid of him, you better have somebody you think is ready to step up and and be an impact player at that position. Um, I'm not sure that person's on the roster right now. Um, DJ Davidson, I think, in this spot role has played pretty well, but you know, then he missed a game with his knee. Uh, his knee acted up a little bit last week. Uh, I talked to him actually today, and he said he's fine and he was a full participant back in practice. So, but he he's somebody interesting to watch here for the last eleven weeks. Can he can he go from being uh, you know, just a guy to maybe having more of an impact. Uh, you know, the, the two guys they brought in, uh, Nunez Roches and who, who signed beyond this year. He, so he's going to be around, uh, and Ashawn Robinson, whose snaps are dwindling some, you know, I would say, uh, uh, Nacho will be around, but probably not Ashawn Robinson, uh, yeah. the defensive line. And, you know, <laughs> I'll go back to your Kayvon. Yeah, can Kayvon have an impact? And but he's going to be around. We know that. Yep. Uh, they are so thin after that at that position. You know, I don't know. You know, they need to draft, sign a free agent. I haven't really looked at the either one of those things too deeply yet. I'm sure we're going to in these future weeks coming up start looking at those things more deeply. But you know, they're so paper thin at that position. And Ojalari can't stay healthy. I mean, the guy had a, had an encouraging rookie year, 
But he, ever since he got hurt in the joint practice uh, with the Jets, they were running sprints after practice. He hurt the he hurt his calf, and he's been just snake bitten by injuries ever since. He played seven games last year, uh, so he missed ten. He has played three of the six so far this year. Uh, he went on IR. I can't remember when. But whatever, you know, you're going to got to miss at least four games, at least with IR, you know, that doesn't guarantee you're coming back after four. So, um, yeah, I mean, 17, played the full season as a rookie, had eight sacks, pretty encouraging, but, and, and, and had a nice batting average last season in terms of effectiveness, five and a half sacks in seven games, but has not done anything since. I mean, you talk about like the guys who have been their best defensive players. I mean, right now, Dexter Lawrence, PFF wise, far and away their best guy at ninety point six. We'll say ninety is his grade, and pass rush he's at eighty six. Uh, and we're and since we're talking about the guys up front, like Leonard Williams, not a great grade. He's sixty eight. He's actually not great against the run. Usually pretty good against the run, but sixty one against the run. But he's actually an eighty eight in, in pass rush. So he's having a really good pass rush here. Twenty one pressures for Lawrence, thirteen for Leonard Williams. Thibodeau has sixteen and four sacks, but these are PFF numbers. But they have him only at a 59 in, in pass rush. So that, what's that saying is he's not efficient. He's what's not his, efficient. What, and what's his run defense grade? And his run defense is 35. So, <clears throat> yeah. That's and they have him defending the run a lot. So his overall grade is 44 right now. If you look at his total snaps, he has 325 total snaps, Thibodeau, and 135 of those are as a run defender, 161 pass rush. So he's being asked to defend the run a lot and not doing it particularly well is what that tells you. Um, so – if they want him to be this all-around linebacker and he wants to be that guy, um, we're not seeing it. We're not seeing it yet right now. So, I, you know, I yeah, want to that yeah. concerning. The other thing, to go back to the pass rush for a second, though, and this goes back to a conversation I had with Andre Patterson, our defensive line coach last week, uh, which was uh, – I, I found it fascinating that, you know, he said this. Um, we, we were talking about the Miami game. They hadn't played the Buffalo game yet, obviously. But talk about the Miami game, and he, you know, and Dex and Leonard came off the field and said to him, the offensive linemen from the Dolphins are saying, we're not going to let you wreck this game. I mean, which which essentially means they're like the they're like the third and fourth guy. You know, it's like Aaron Judge and in the middle of a batting yep. order. We're not we're not going to let Aaron Judge beat us. But we're not going to let you guys wreck this game. Pitch around them. And, and and that means from a pass rush standpoint, they're you know. And they're just so thin on the edges, pass rush wise, um, that you know why would why would you let the two guys who can wreck the game wreck the game? Um, you know, so that's that's a problem. And having said all that, they played they they did play good defense. An interesting thing about Sunday's game, I, I thought from uh, a pass rush standpoint, was they didn't blitz the way they normally do, uh, and were more effective playing. And, and I found that particularly interesting because I just happened to be watching. You know, it was a Sunday night game, so the pregame shows were on. Uh, and, you know, usually we don't get to watch the pregame shows because we're driving to the stadium or we're at the stadium. And Rex Ryan, of all people, uh, said this to about Wink, who's, you know, obviously a good, really good buddy. Uh, he said, Wink, stop blitzing. It's not working. Wow. <laughs> that was a – Yeah. It was a – that's, Very, that's remarkable. And, and then he did, which I, I'm I'm interested. We talk to Wink tomorrow, Wink and the coordinators tomorrow. So I will definitely ask him about, about that comment. Yeah. And of course, for people who don't know, he's, he's buddies with Rex, but more, you know, more so Rob Ryan, he actually uh, worked alongside 
I don't know if they ever worked together. Yeah, I think yeah, they did. But but they're they go way, way back to like when Wink was like starting out in coaching and Rob Ryan was starting out. We're talking about like to the nineties. They used to go on college recruiting trips together. Anyway, so the, the, he's known the Ryan family and especially Rob, but I've clearly Rex too. And they come from that same aggressive mindset school of thought. And so to hear Rex Ryan say that, that's uh yeah, that's something. Um, so yeah, look, I mean, they need to be a better, they need to be more obviously effective in, in every way. Like, I mean, if you look again, PFS, not gospel, but look, this team is 29th in defense right now. Uh, and against the run, they're 27th. They haven't improved there. And in terms of pass rush, they're 21st, the team that blitzes as much as they do should be better than that. Um, and as we move into the back end of this defense, they're 26 in coverage. So they're not doing like they're one in five for a reason. Obviously they're not doing much of anything. Right. So, as you look at the secondary, um, yeah, Tay Banks will be back as one outside corner. Uh, then they, then who knows? Like goodness gracious, I mean, like Trey Hawkins will be around, but like, is he's you know maybe he's not all these cracked up, to, cracked up. To, he wasn't was he? What was he actually cracked up to be? He was a six round pick, but he had a good camp. Right, right. I mean, and he, you know, he kind of burst onto the scene when yeah. we never expected him to. I'm, I'm not sure he expected himself to burst onto the scene the way he did. Uh, he was not quiet, played well, obviously. Quiet, quiet guy, right? Now he's now he's not having uh near the impact he has, and and you know all of a sudden Cordell Flott has has come more into the picture. But he had, you know, for the guys we talked about who just had good games, Cordell Flott had a forty-one point four grade uh, on Sunday, including what was he fifty-two point six or fifty-two point five. Uh, in coverage, forty point three against the run, thirty five point seven tackling. Uh, so, you know, yeah. there's no consistency from from any of those guys. I think, you know, the eye test with Deontay Banks is is that you know he can he can he's going to get better as he plays more. Yeah, uh, but I'm not sure you can say that about anybody else in that secondary among the young guys. Banks played well in San Francisco, well in Miami. He did not play well uh, in Arizona or Buffalo. Um, and so, yeah, look, it's an early, it's early rookie cornerback. It's really hard. So, we, but you talk about five positions in the secondary, two outside corner, a slot corner, and your two safeties. You could, it's a possibility that the giants are looking at new starters at every single one of those spots. I mean, they're not committed to Jason Pennock. He's a interesting young player. Uh, Xavier McKinney, we addressed that in a post week ago i mean they could theoretically trade him or he could he could wind up leaving a free agency whether they like quote unquote will let him walk or you know he just gets monster money elsewhere or whatever um and then what you know we'll see what they do at the other cornerbacks but i think jackson is is probably gone too uh his salary i think is 11 million so uh yeah i could foresee a situation where they maybe try to trade him. I, I don't know about that though. I mean, he's an older player. He's got a little bit of a neck thing going on right now. Like how has he played this year? Not great. He's got a 37 coverage grade. So um, he has not played well. Um, and yeah, so I don't see him back, but I, perhaps I also don't see him traded. I talked to him in the locker room today. He said he would be upset if he was traded and um, like, just looking at completely objectively, like why would a team trade for him at this point with the way he's playing? Uh, nothing against him personally, uh, good guy, good leader, but that's the reality of it. And so this secondary needs some, look, they drafted Deontay Banks this year because they want him to be their number one corner. So clearly they're not going to bring back, probably bring back a Dory Jackson in that role. Right. So um, they need to figure out, can they build around Banks? 
And what do they do with McKinney? Do they bring him back or not? Right. Those are those are two guys. Yeah, I would be surprised if they didn't bring back McKinney. I I, I really would. Uh, I I think I think Wink. You know, my my impression is that Wink really likes McKinney. Um, you know, and he's a solid player. He had a he had a really good year uh, two years ago, and that that led us to believe he was going to have a great year last year, which he didn't. And then on top of that, he had the the hand thing on the vacation to Cabo. Uh, but he's come back and played at a pretty high level again this year. Yeah. I mean, you, you look at, look at what he's done. Um, 70 coverage, 71 defense, 67 against the run. He's tackling well, 72 tackle, 68 pass rush. I mean, I don't pass rush him really at all, but there you go. So he's, he's played pretty well. Um, you know, he's played well. Simmons has played well. O'Kara case played well. Um, so that kind of, I mean, that kind of covers the defense and, and, you know, look, I mean, we're done to give you a whole off season preview. This is sort of all couched in the, this is what we need to see in the final 11 games. Like we need, they need to figure out, okay, what do they have in Jason Pinnock? What do they have in Cordell Flott? What do they have in, you know, uh, Darnay Holmes is gone. We know that. What do they have in Trey Hawkins? Maybe Nick McLeod, these type of guys who they need to see what they can be. Obviously Bobby McCain signing. I mean, what a, what a pointless signing that was. The guy is not even active. What do they have against, what do they have from Dane Belton? Uh, so these are some interesting young, we talk a lot about the, you know, Thibodeau and what they need to see from Barkley and McKinney on the stretch, but these like mid tier guys are interesting evaluations too. And I would, I would put Micah McFadden in quote, the quote unquote mid tier non-sexy group, but it's an important evaluation. I mean, sure. you're not, you're not necessarily evaluating O'Karakate on the stretch, but cause you know, he's gonna be back, but these are the other guys who you're like, right. This Pinnock's, is in Pinnock's in there too, and Pinnock's a guy who I think yeah. could, could be definitely be in their future plans. You know, I, I, I you know, he, this is really his first chance to first season to be a starter, and he's obviously he got off to a rough start, but he's he's come on in recent weeks and, and played better. Uh, obviously, had an incredible 102 yard return against the Dolphins, but then he yep. followed that up with a solid performance against the against the uh, Bills, and That's you correct. know, and part of Part of growing in this league is you, you got to take your lumps. Especially, you're you're going to take your lump. And I, you know, that was the long thing I had to talk with McFadden, and he talked about it in training camp too. About you know, learning his rookie year was so difficult, uh, and just you know, is you know, at times it felt like his head was spinning because there was just so much to to absorb. Uh, and and he even went to the part where he was talking about not just like what he was learning on the field, but it, he's like. I, I laughed about a conversation because I had just started on the job. We, we had a conversation. I asked him about how much he had learned from Blake Martinez. And two days later, Blake Martinez was gone. He's like, yeah, that's the first time I was like, I always heard, yeah, the NFL is a business. The NFL is a business. Like, wow, it really is a business. <laughs> you know, that, that he was gone. And now Michael McFadden was being thrust into a more prominent role than he really thought he would be at that early stage. And he took his lumps last year. Um, you know, and he's taken some this year, but you know, guys, I, I think people do forget, and it's true in every professional sport. Um, you know, young players, they get they get better. A lot of them get better. If they don't, they disappear, and that happens a lot too. But the guys do improve all the time in, in professional sports once they get. And uh, you know, the term they always use is the game slows down for them, and that's you know they talk about it in every sport where. 
you know, everything, it's just such an elite level of competition that until you really get in, into it, you don't understand exactly what it is. And when, but then when you do, if you're good enough, you, you, you get better. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's, there are plenty of those, uh, mid-level, like I said, and you know, not to knock these guys kind of mid-level, but you're talking about Kayvon Thibodeau. Okay. He's number five overall pick, you know, but, but, for all those guys, there's there's guys like Micah McFadden and Pinnock that they need to figure out, can we kind of sort of build a defense around these guys? Or do we need need to go out and try to draft a guy or or sign a guy? So that's that's you know, they talk about self-scouting, whatever. In the in these final eleven games, that's what the Giants front off is gonna be doing a lot of while the, the coaching staff tries to scrap and win. And we talk I think you mentioned it, like I think Wink Martindale will be back. I think all of the I think the guys who could lose their jobs, you know, and, and again, this is not, we're not speculating necessarily lightly. We understand this, is, but it's part of the deal, you know, it's, you know, it's the results business, Thomas McGahee, Bobby Johnson. These are the type of guys who could, they, they could, I think, move on from, they're not firing Dable after this year, you know, who's going to be in the hot seat, probably entering next year, depending on how poorly the rest of this thing goes. If they turn it around, maybe not. Um, but it's looking like it's heading in that direction. So you can kind of assume as you're evaluating these players that they're going to be coming back into the same offensive and defensive systems, uh, which obviously that continuity helps. You can't be, as Leonard Williams said the other day, when I was talking in the locker room, he's like, you don't, you can't be firing a coach every two years. Well, that's what the giants have done with their last three coaches. I, you know, I don't see it happening here. Uh, it's been the blueprint. <laughs> yeah. So that's, and it's not, it's a terrible. Or, or should we say the big blueprints? Yeah. Oh, and so, uh, like as you look at this offense, I, I we'll start with Daniel Jones because we're you know we talked at the top about how he's limited today. Let's assume he misses another game. He's got this neck thing. It's supposedly not as serious as the last time. They the the whole idea that they're not still evaluating this guy is poppycock. I mean, like they need to, first of all the GM didn't draft him right. Yes, they signed him to an. It's not 160. Like, let's stop with the 40 million. It's 82 million dollars over two years. That is the contract. Forget every single cent beyond the next two years. If they don't like him by the end of 2024, they're putting him curbside. Okay. So, and and let let's think about it like this. What if the Giants win two games this year? The rest of this year. Now, regardless of whether he comes back or he. Now, let a lot of it is like, okay, what if he misses the rest of the year? It doesn't doesn't seem like that's going to be the case, but based on what Brian Dable says. But how long could he be out? How many games do they lose? Where are they picking the draft? They're currently fifth, but that's going to change, obviously. Uh, do you draft a quarterback next year? I, I don't think they will. But Joe Shane entering a hot seat year potentially in 2024, does he want to wait until 2025? To draft a quarterback, will he even be around to draft a quarterback if they're horrible again next year? Like, there's so many factors here that you I have mean, to. I, I guess part of that depends on what he thinks of the 2024 quarterback class. Uh, and as as fate would have it, he was at the USC Notre Dame game over the weekend, watching. You know, who who knows? I'm sure he was watching many things besides a, a quarterback. But Cal, Caleb Williams is obviously the one of the top quarterbacks projected in the draft and he threw three interceptions and his team got lost its first game that night and got, and got beat up pretty good 48 to 20 by, by uh, Notre Dame. So, um, you know, I don't know. You, you don't judge a guy on one game, but obviously he walked Joe Shane had to walk away from that saying, eh, <laughs> I think he said this. He talked about it last year when he was, watching some games early on uh, when they really didn't know whether Daniel Jones was going to be their quarterback the following year. 
and watch some miserable games. He said, he said, I walked out of the stadium. Come on, Daniel. <laughs> so, yeah. so, yeah, it's so, kind of the devil, you know, I mean, they, they know this guy and uh, not to say he's Satan, you know, obviously I'm not likening to Satan, but um, this is an expression of course, but um, like, yeah, they, they, they know how this guy can handle the system. Is he an elite quarterback? Like I'm, I'm, we just haven't seen it yet. Cause he's had played behind a terrible line. He's been hurt again, all the things rinse and repeat, but at some point, every quarterback has got to elevate the guys around him. So is he going to come back when he comes back and elevate the guys around him? Is the line going to give him a fighting chance? He can't be pressured 46, 47% of the time. So it has to start there. If he has a fighting chance, is he going to elevate the semi-flawed roster around him? That's what I think it has to come down to the rest of this year. Um, but but again, it's, it's a two-year probably evaluation unless the things go haywire and they draft a quarterback next year. But I think it, it's worth noting that being bold and we wrote I wrote the whole story about this with Howie Roseman going to Super Bowl last year guy you, I think you talked to Joe Banner about it being bold pays off especially at the quarterback position everyone said when they drafted Jalen Hurts what in the world are you doing you already have Carson Wentz well Carson Wentz is 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 you know after- hunting, <laughs> hunting helpless animals with an AR-15 right now and having the time of his life I'm sure but uh while Jalen Hurts is dot you know playing great an MVP candidate Absolutely. I mean, you know, Howie Roseman's done that in, in, in several different ways as the Eagles GM, and it's it's, it's paid off. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if if Daniel Jones does not show the Giants what they want to and need to see from him this year, and you and you know, you think there's a quarterback, uh, and and you see it all the time with teams. I mean, actually, Sam Howe's a good example. You don't have to draft a quarterback in the first round yep. and necessarily have him become become your guy. Um, you know, he 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 went in the fifth round. Um, you know, sometimes you find him in, you find him all over the draft. And, you know, so, you know, even if the Giants don't take a quarterback, I, I personally thought they should have taken a quarterback in the later rounds uh, in this last draft. They, they didn't end up doing that. Um, but I, you know, I could definitely see a scenario where the giants take a quarterback somewhere in next year's draft and, you know, just, you know, not only, um, based on what Daniel Jones is doing, but also, you know, Tyrod Taylor's in the last year of his contract, he's probably not coming back as the backup quarterback. So, you know, in a lot of ways you would rather have a young quarterback. I, you know, that was the, one of the things that surprised me when I got on the beat last year was like, why did the Giants, who who nobody thought was going to the playoffs last year, spend so much money on a backup quarterback? You know, uh, it was a, it was a weird thing to me. Um, you know, I'm glad they did because I really enjoyed covering Tyrod Taylor and talking to him. He's he's a guy with a lot of good insight into the NFL and in, in you know into what uh, what it's like to be an NFL player. Uh, but it just seemed like a weird weird thing they did and. I, I think going forward next year, they're probably better off having, even if it's their backup, being a guy, um, a younger guy, not rather than a veteran. And then, of course, is the line. Then, like, we've been through it a million times, and Dave Gettleman did a bad job. Joe Shane also has done a bad job. So, um, they, we don't, the line is hurt. Guys are hurt. Justin Pugh is playing, probably left tackle. Like there's so many different permutations they've gone through with this line. Quite frankly, 
it none of it i mean it, it matters but like i don't need to hear you know the, the the justin Pugh thing okay it's a fun story but the guy is not a long-term solution for them so to me like i'm if i'm a forward looking uh you know if i'm a giants fan and i'm forward looking like i don't really care that much about the fact that justin Pugh is involved no offense to him he seems like a delightful guy but like i do want to just interject right one thing here yeah he probably shouldn't even be the short-term solution I'd like that it, that it got to that know. he's but I, I I look I looked this up today and I probably could have taken it farther but I was like this this will be enough this will suffice so the top 10 graded guys in PFF right now I just looked at I looked at their weights and averaged them at their average weight the top weight I think is Jordan Mylotta at 375 pounds but the average weight of the 10 top 10 guys grades grades in PFF is 329 pounds. And we asked we asked Justin Pugh what he weighed last week, and he said two hundred and ninety two pounds. Uh, you know, it's, it's crazy to have a left tackle at two hundred and ninety. Division three schools don't have uh, left tackles at two hundred and ninety two pounds anymore. Uh, so you know, it, yes, it's it it, it 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 is what it is, as they say, but it's not anything relevant to what the future of the Giants is. So as you look at the line here, um, they have two guys who are going to be back next year for sure. And John Michael Schmitz, the center, and the jury's still out on him. Who knows? But either way, he's dealing with the shoulder thing right now. Sounds like it's not season ending. Uh, he's not an IR candidate, according to Brian Dable, which is encouraging for the Giants. Same with Andrew Thomas. They're not putting him. They didn't put him on IR yet. Uh, they could have. At some point, yeah, in retrospect, it could have or should have. But he did have the setback in practice, which kind of derailed the plans a little bit. Um, so he'll be back, of course, to the left tackle. And, you know, smart for him to have gotten that contract this summer. Um, but the other spots, like to, Evan Neal looks like a bust right now at right tackle. So they need to figure out the rest of the way what they have in him and whether they're going to do something there. Um Obviously, they're you know Matt Parrott is hurt. You know he he's just just hasn't worked out. Um, and they drafted Marcus McKeith in a guard in the fifth round last year. Mixed results so far. Uh, you know, of course, Mark Lewinsky is not going to be around next year uh, as a guard. Shane Lemieux, I don't think, will be around next year. Who knows on Ben Bredesen? He's a younger guy. Uh, but but do they view him as a long term? So you're not going to be able to go out and spend big money or big draft picks on three spots in the line at some point. I think you're going to look at this and there's probably going to be like one spot at least next year where there's a big question mark that the thing they need to get to is where there's not three or four spots that are question marks, which is the case, which was the case going into this year. They had questions all over the line. Uh, and then the, a lot of those guys got hurt, which like just destroyed everything. And, and the fact that Josh Azudu was your first uh, uh, option to play left tackle is just reflects so poorly on the state of their roster. And now he potentially might be out for the year with it, with a toe injury. I talked to him today in the locker room. He's just so down and so discouraged about how this whole, this is, I can't even remember a worse three week stretch for an NFL player. He played poorly against Seattle and was, was crying the locker room afterwards in Miami. He played poorly again. He gave up the sack on which Daniel Jones got hurt and was crying again in the locker room. And, and, and in one of the all time stand up guy moments, the guy sat there and answered questions from reporters. I, I mentioned it last week. It's worth mentioning again. You know, he deals with a stutter. He's had a horrible experience two weeks in a row uh, on the field and is crying and answering stayed and answered. It, it was a, a really admirable um, thing that he did. Uh, and then of course, last week he hurts his toe and just like a freak accident, his toe gets caught. So they drafted him in the third round last year and they don't, they still don't really know what they have in him. He didn't play a snap of guard at all this year. 
So he was drafted to be a guard. Um, so they have just, they have to just, Joe Shane has to figure out how to figure this out on the line. Yeah. I mean, and to me, I just, I go back to, um, I go back to Evan Neal being the biggest one that oh, they yeah. need to figure out. They, you know, that, that's a disaster. If you're, if the seventh overall pick in the draft can't play, um, you know, because now you, now you do need to go get another, uh, right tackle, whether it's via free agency um, or, or the draft. But uh, if he doesn't show signs of improvement by the end of this season, uh, and and right now you, you wonder how he's going to do that because right now he's playing banged up. Uh, and, and we, right, with an ankle injury. Uh, he didn't practice today. And, you know, when that happens, you it, it rarely gets better by playing, you know. So – uh, you know, that part of it, the two, two, at the, they're going to have to consider what they want to do with the two cards. They're obviously going to look at John Michael Schmitz beyond this year. Um, you know, but, you know, and getting Andrew Thomas healthy is also a huge thing. You know, Brian Dable's answer today was he's getting better. He's working, you know, he's working, he's rehabbing now with the trainers. Um, that I would, you know, you can say what you want. He's getting better, but it's not encouraging me. He's not in the, on the practice field on a on Wednesday. That means he's not playing Sunday if he's not on the practice field Wednesday, and he's just starting to work with the trainers. And that kind of tells me you can forget about him this week and next week. Now, uh, you know, and but you know, at some point they get him back. You know, at some point you get Andrew Thomas back, and then maybe you start to put together some semblance of the offensive line you hope to have um, at the beginning of the season, but I'm not even sure what that is anymore. Uh, Great. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because we've seen so many variations of it. uh, And, you know, they started the season with uh, Mark Lewinsky at, at right guard. And he's since the season started, he started two games at right guard uh, with big gaps in between the two starts. One game at left guard and three games on the bench. So, uh, but that was your that was the guy you chose for opening day to be your starter, uh, who beat out Azudus supposedly. Um, you know, Bredesen is not a center. You know, he's he's had to play more center uh, because of Schmitz, and he's played more center now than left guard. Uh, but that that's you know that's not the answer there. Um, you know, there's just, as as you said at the top of the discussion about the offensive line, it's it's a mess and it it it's the thing that needs to be fixed. Until they fix that, you know, all the other things don't matter. You know, good good teams, great teams have great offensive lines or very good offensive lines or quarterbacks that can, you know, do things that uh, mask some of the problems on the offensive line. And I think Daniel Jones can be a good quarterback behind a good offensive line, but I don't think he's the guy who masks a lot of problems for a bad offensive line. Bingo. Well said. I mean, the Giants are the last overall team in PFF's ratings right now. They have like a 54-6 grade. The Panthers are 60.2, and they haven't won a game. So the Giants are last by far. A big reason, of course, is that they're last in offense. They are last in pass blocking. Um, They are... Probably not last in run blocking. Nope, they're last in run blocking too. I hadn't, I honestly got, I had no idea. So <laughs> uh, injuries have played into that. You know, this is a familiar script for Giants fans. They've seen their offensive line just be 
atrocious during this whole 2017 to 2021 stretch. That's why they tied the Jets for the worst record in the NFL over that stretch. That's why they had horrible starts. One and eight in 2017, one and seven in 2018, two and 11 in 2019. Then they go one and seven in 2020, one and five in 2021. Another one and five again uh, after last year's six and one slash seven and two starts. So it's, it's, what are they? I don't know. What is that old political phrase? It's the whatever. It's the economy stupid. It's the offense stupid or it's the offensive line stupid or whatever. That's a dumb joke. But, um, not yeah, bad. Not, not bad. I'll give it a 6.6. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, look, uh, that's they have 30 outside of the second half in Arizona. Their offense, I know I've, I don't even have to look this up because I've written it so many times. Their offense has scored 33 points in 11 halves outside of the second half in Arizona. That is one touchdown with an extra point missed and nine field goals. So 27 points through field goals, six for the touchdown, 33 points in 11 halves outside of the second half in Arizona. They've gone 205 minutes without an offensive touchdown of, of game time, obviously not 205 minutes ago from when we're recording this, but yeah, look, I mean, the, the three plus games without an offensive touchdown, uh, it, the uh, solutions are not necessarily on the way, but why we're talking about some of this stuff is like, how do they go about fixing it in the off season? Um, and the reality is they've got to figure out three of their five spots in their line. And as we pivot to some of these other positions, uh, we don't need to get too much into Barkley. I think either he's back or he isn't. And will he be traded at the deadline? I, I don't see it. It's one spot. They, they're probably going to have a new running back. I, but I think the more interesting one to me is what you, you wrote about for today. Uh, their receivers, uh, they're doing the smart thing and they're getting a long, hard look here at Jalen Hyatt and Wandale Robinson, sort of nudging Isaiah Hodgins to the side and Paris Campbell, who was just kind of a cheapy nothing signing this year. They're not um, nudging him, they're shoving him off the off the plank. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking, I was what are you going to say? Plank is a good one there. Uh, yeah, there you go, right? So like uh, Darius Slayton's still playing. He may not be back next year. He essentially got a one-year deal. Uh, but they want to give the young kids a chance at receiver, which makes sense. Yeah, of course. You know, I, if I'm them, I absolutely want to look at Jalen Hyde and Wondell Robinson and see what we see what they have in in those two guys. Uh, you know, Hyatt's a guy who, you know, with his speed, uh, he's just been tremendously inconsistent so far. Uh, but you you want to see if that speed can play into being a number one or or even a number two receiver. You know, because teams, you know, you used the Eagles as an example a minute ago and. They are an example of they 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 drafted Devontae Smith, but that wasn't enough. They then went and got AJ Brown, and they just yep. and now they now they've gotten Julio Jones, but that's an old. They kept version. swinging, right? I mean, he, right. You how just, many, you how just many guys did he miss on? How? Oh, a ton forever. Ton. It, it took the Eagles forever to find good receivers for forever. Uh, so you just you just keep trying and trying and trying. Uh, so you know, but. You know, you look at Jalen Hyatt and see what he develops into. And Brian Dable talked about this today, and it was one of those things. He's he's really spot on with talking about how, um, you know, it's a difficult position to just come into the league and and be a star. There was a long time, and it, it's not so much the case anymore, and I think it's because the college game has changed so much. But there was a long time in this league where it was impossible for rookies receivers to have 1,000-yard seasons. Uh, because the, the learning curve was so sharp for um, for those guys. Uh, and it seems like Jalen Hyatt's having, you know, some issues becoming an NFL wide receiver right now. Uh, and then you, 
you know, I think they kind of view and uh, Wandell Robinson, which this is a point I made today, was you wonder where Cole Beasley fits into this whole thing anymore, if at all, because, you know, if you're going to youth movement, there's other than him having him there to be uh, a, a voice in their, their heads, um, you know, but Wandell Robinson, I think they would like to develop into that guy who catches first down passes and is a, a, a matchup nightmare out of the slot for, for corner, um, for, for uh, slot cornerbacks. Um, but, the, you know, they need to see all that. Uh, and as when we were talking earlier today at the practice facility, um, the amazing thing is that Darius Slayton is thriving, surviving through all of this. Uh, and still the number one Giants receiver, uh, although not really a number one receiver, but the Giants' number one receiver, but still a very competent and good player uh, who can can help you in, in in a lot of ways. And one of the ways, you know, I, I said this to, to Darius at the start of the season uh, when the captain votes came out, that, that guy should be a captain. There's no doubt about it in my mind. Um, you know, he's the perfect example of what you want uh, locker room guy to be um, and and good for him that going forward he's going to be the guy who survived out of all this yeah I don't know if he'll be back next year but he'll he'll have a role in the NFL uh, not bad for a fifth round pick uh, you look at Hyatt he, I to me he was their most fascinating draft pick because the deep threat potential and that's something this offense needed presuming they could pass block which they still can't that was always the chicken and egg part of it but um but also they traded up to get him. I mean, they surrendered what amount what they surrendered a fourth round pick to move up in the third round to take him. Right. Uh, I think if I recall correctly, and then, you know, you look at how much he'd been involved this year. He's got seven catches for 100, 120 yards. Pretty much all that has come at least the yardage wise 89 against Arizona. He did have that awesome catch in Buffalo. I can't believe he got his feet in the, the Evan Neal penalty. I, I don't like usually to say like, um, the penalty like negated it because a lot of times like a penalty causes a big gain or something like that, but not in this case, Evan Neal was like, it had nothing. It was so far away from the play it had nothing to do with why he made that play. Uh, it obviously did wipe out the play, but I'm, you know, the point being the penalty didn't help him make that catch. Uh, right. However long it was going to be, I forget, but it was a long, nice long catch. The, the, the peg was that, you know, he played 56 snaps, which is 73% of the snaps. And you look at his snap percentages, before that, from week one to five, it was 36, 21, 32. Then he got 60% of the snaps against Seattle, then 46 in Miami. So this was by far his biggest workload. Um, and I think it's a really intriguing thing here going forward to see if he can turn that into uh, more productive. They targeted him four times, three catches, 21 yards. It would have been five targets, four catches for however many. Maybe, what was that, a 40-yard catch or something like that? Um yeah. Distance, so there you know, yeah. So I think he's an encouraging guy. I think he clearly is not yet there. Uh, and so I think this people get spoiled, like you said, but like the Justin Jefferson types were who come in and dominate, even Odell Beckham with the Giants, who, like, let's be honest, like people thought Odell was going to be a Hall of Famer. Sorry, it's not happening. He was a flash in the pan receiver who had a few great years, and that's it. And that's fine. I mean, he had he had a nice career, made a lot of money. But um, but I think people saw the Giants fans especially were like, wow. Well, by the way, Hyatt's wearing decided to wear Odell's number. Uh, but uh, they see, you know, they see an Odell as a rookie receiver, 
And wow, you know, maybe that can be more common. But as you mentioned, and as Brian Dable put a little, you know, logical cold water on that, that's hard to do. Really, really hard to do. Yeah, it, it is. It, it is, you know, guys, guys have talked, coaches have talked about it for years. You know, you come in and, you know, I think the biggest thing they talk about is a lot of times, and I, I think you saw this on Jalen Hyatt's tape that they would play off him, um, you know, and give him some cushion. And now in this league, you're going to, guys are going to just be more physical with you. And, and, you know, the, the level of competition and I, I, you know, I've heard receivers say, it, you know, talk about how, yeah, you know, there'd be two or three games where we'd go up against a guy who was like really an elite cornerback. And then, you know, that's even true in the sec where the, the competition is very high and certainly a lot of NFL players are produced, but you know, when you when you go and again when Tennessee plays Vanderbilt, I'm sure Jalen Hyatt wasn't really too worried about who was playing cornerback against him. Uh, I knew you were going to pick on Vanderbilt. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're the, they're the obvious choice. In there the are SEC. some other, like you said, though the SEC gets this, this reputation. I covered the SEC. There are some teams that are in the SEC that just literally don't have any NFL players on them. Or right, Missouri's Missouri's one. Um, you know, it, so it's, you know, it's not like you're playing against great teams every week, but Vanderbilt, what about that baseball team? Anyway, go ahead. <laughs> uh, yeah. Tim, uh, who's their coach? Uh, Tim something. Um, yeah. National couple of national titles. Um, look, and, 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 and we, we're talking about receivers. Let's loop Darren Waller in here. And as we close this out, um, Man, I I don't know what to make of 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 his season so far. So this kind of just ties it all together because what happened at the end of that Bills game was just so perfectly uh, symbolic of of what's been a frustrating season for him. He has no touchdown catches, um, and everyone knows what happened at the end of the game. Did he get interfered with? Uh, who knows? On the last on time down, yeah, perhaps, but they're not. Even the Giants DBs were who, who the DBs love. To, to debate officiating calls though dory jackson xavier mckinney basically said straight up when i asked him officials aren't going to call that on a second straight play you know which they didn't say this but that's why you should perhaps run the ball on an untimed down like that because and mike florio from pft did a good thing on it like why wouldn't the defense just keep interfering over and over and over and over and over and on an time down from the one what do they have to lose except the game so the best way to defend that run the ball uh anyway they didn't Waller wound, winds up with 36 yards in that game. Uh, he's had two good games, 86 against Miami, 76 against Arizona. Other than that, he's had 43, 21, 20, and 36. He's got no touchdowns. PFF actually has him 12th in the tight end pecking order with, with, with I think that those rankings kind of slant more to receiving, which is what he does. His role is anyway. Uh, they're committed to him for two years at $24 million total. And, they gave up a third round pick to get him. He's going to be, mm, he has been able to stay healthy, uh, done some nicks, but he's going to be 32 in mid-September next year. He's on pace basically right now to have 799 yards for the season. Um, I guess it's not bad. Maybe I'm just, maybe I'm being too hard on him. I don't know. It, it, it's not bad, but you see the thousand yard seasons, um, you know, and plus you got to remember that now we've added in a 17th game as you, you pointed out earlier. Um, so that it's not nearly as good as it, the thousand, the, the 1200 yards and 1145 he had with the, the Raiders when he really broke out. Um, he, you know, we're just, we're expecting more of uh, the, 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 
the bar was high for him, and it should have been because, you know, they gave him third round draft choice, a pretty pretty big pick to give up. <laughs> um, you know, and 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 I think some of it is based on what we saw in training camp in the preseason. It seemed like him and Daniel Jones had a really good connection. Obviously, the preseason was a very 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 small sample size, but but the training camp wasn't you know for going even going back to OTAs in the spring. It looked like they had a really good connection. Um, and he just, you know, yeah, you want to see him take over a game at some point. Um, but you know, he's, he's, he's been okay, I think, but not, not the great tight end. Uh, he hasn't been Travis Kelsey, um, George Kittle or any of those guys that, you know, are elite. And he has been that type of guy before, but will he ever be again? I don't know. I think that's all fair. And I think if you bottom line it, he has not been worth the investment. Um, they gave up a third round pick for him and they're paying him 24 million bucks over two years. It, to me, that's, he has not been worth that. Um, but we'll see. There's still some time uh, we can. And uh, before we do our pick, I like, we're so, you know, so much like, I don't know if it's doom and gloom. We're just giving you guys a reality situation of where the team stands. And there's certainly reasons to be hopeful. We talked about some young guys who have been hopeful. If you really are looking for a big picture reason to be hopeful about this season, Bob did a great job looking this up of the three, one and five teams that have got started one and five gone on to make the playoffs happened three times in like the NFL history, like since 1970, right? Cause when the merger, um, by the way, I put this in a story from yesterday uh, as sort of B roll or boilerplate at the bottom about John Mara you know, let's be honest, somewhat smugly saying he wasn't going to comment to reporters. Okay, fine, whatever. Uh, I, quite frankly, kind of lame. Uh, you know, you're the owner of the team. Answer a few questions about where they're at. But he didn't want to do that. So he, he typically doesn't talk at this fall meeting even when they play well. So I guess he, he didn't really talk last year. I guess he's being consistent. But uh, yeah, I think fans want to hear from from him, from the, from the GM, who, you know, GM usually talks at midseason. But uh, that's just my two cents on that, but, um, still got a story out of it. And in that story, uh, the te- teams being the 1970 Bengals, the year of the merger, they started one and six, they finished eight and six, totally different NFL back then 14 game, regular season schedule, four teams in each conference, not six or seven that we're familiar with made the playoffs. And the, and the league only had 26 teams. Uh, so there you go. And then the 2015 Chiefs, Raheem Nunez-Roches was on that team. He talked to the Giants actually about that and addressed them, I think, after the Seattle game maybe. And they started 1-5. and five. They won 10 in a row, 11-5. and five. That's what the format everyone's familiar with, 32 teams, 6 in the playoffs. Um, and they actually won a game, unlike the Bengals in 70 who went 0-1. The Chiefs went 1-1. They lost in the divisional round. The last, and the third and last team to start 1-5 and five or worse, and in this case they did start 1-5 and five exactly, and make the playoffs, that would be the 2018 Colts. Uh, started one and five, finished 10 and six. They also went one and one in the playoffs, losing in the divisional round. So, again, there's 17 regular season games now and an extra wild card. So, seven teams are in the playoffs. So, it's hard to compare, but um, at one and five, you have a steep hill. At one and six, you have a steeper hill. And at one and seven, you got, let's be honest, no shot. <laughs> even, even one if- and seven, you're over the cliff. Yeah, even even if it's a 17th regular, it's not like the schedule went from 16 games to 32 games. So, um, no, I would, I would, if we're doing picks now, will the Giants make the playoffs? I would put almost my entire life savings, uh, maybe I'll regret this, on them not making the playoffs. So, I think that's a safe bet. 
I, I would make the same bet, but I don't have much of a life savings. So. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. If anyone wants a house that's 120 years old, my life savings is tied up in that. So there you go. <laughs> um, uh, so, uh, look, let's let's. Hey, they play the commanders, incidentally, by the way, on Sunday. We literally haven't even mentioned the word commanders once. They're three and three. The Jets are three and three back to back winnable home games. We mentioned that kind of at the top. I uh, have not spent a lot of time watching film of the commanders quite frankly but uh let's uh what do you got for a pick well i i actually watched one whole commanders game because i watched him play the eagles uh they took him to overtime they ron rivera should have gone for two after they tied it on i think it was the last play of regulation he didn't go for two he kicked the extra point paddle boat uh, ron they, they, what's that paddle boat ron yeah yeah right <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know and then and then they followed that up with a 40 to 20 stinker losing to the bears on a thursday night so they're really a tough team to call here uh sam how sam how looked great against the eagles he looked awful against the bears then he came back and won last week um i'm going to pick the giants to finally get a win at home just a win period um I'm going to predict them to win this game, and they're going to get an offensive touchdown as well, uh, maybe even two of them. And I'm going to predict them to win by the same score they won in D.C. last year to really solidify their playoff position, 20-12. to 12. Good, good pick, low-scoring game. Um, on the the Sam Howell thing, he's been pressured a lot, right? So Sam Howell has been pressured 100 and one times he's been sacked 34 times. They've allowed more he, sacks than the Giants, I think. He's been under pressure on 38% of his dropbacks, Sam Howell. But Daniel Jones has actually been under pressure more. He's been under pressure, uh, let's see, I'll tell you right now, 46% of his dropbacks. And the totals are not going to be the same because the guys haven't played the same amount of games. But right. Jones he's, been sacked 20. He's been sacked 20. I think he's been sacked 28 times. 28. So they both been they both taken a beating. And I think in this game, uh, if you're Wing Martindale and you're Dexter Lawrence and Leonard Williams, you've got to find a way to get home on, on this guy and Sam Howell and to rattle him and to push him into a mistake or two. And that's the key of winning this game. Um, they're gonna need their defense. I don't think Daniel Jones plays, and I think low scoring Giants win 17, let's say 17, 16. How about a last second Giants field goal to win the game? This time they're in position to kick a game winning field goal, <laughs> unlike last week. Uh let's go 17, 16, last second field goal to put the Giants uh over the top and get a win at home after getting demolished in their first two home games. And they get the really intriguing game uh, against the jets on. Um, no, I can think about as you're saying, this is watching my story blow up on my computer. <laughs> oh, and the game winning kick. Yeah. Well, that, that's a tough one because uh, we were talking about this is a tough one to write when it's, it's a tough one to write when it's like, they got no chance to go to overtime when the game may be like, when you don't have overtime as a safety net. So like at the yeah. end of the Bills game, you knew the game was going to be over. So you had to <laughs> win or lose. Right. Uh, in, in a situation where say like the game is tied or a team is down by three and is trying to kick the field goal, you potentially have the opportunity to have overtime to write more, whatever, whatever people don't need. You know, that's they how don't, the they, they don't care. I was just talking about my own, my own selfish being. 
<laughs> well, and then one last quick point. Uh, and then because I'm having like flashbacks to writing these late that late at night, it's not a very hard job, folks. But like, yeah, like late at night writing, it's it can you know it's tiring, but whatever. Um, uh, it beats digging ditches, as they say. The Giants do have one more primetime game. They're 0 4 in primetime this year. They've lost what two Sunday night games, they've lost a Thursday and a Monday. So they've got like the over, they've gotten the primetime loss bingo going. They do have another Monday night game. It's in week 14. And I think we mentioned this and we were wrong. I was wrong, actually, when I mentioned this. Uh, they do have a week 14 Monday night game against the Packers. Uh, and we're like, oh, they're going to get flexed out of that because they can flex Monday night. They're, they're not going to get flexed out of it, almost certainly. And the reason is game is December 11th, Monday night, week 14, home against the Packers. The reason is that the Jets play at home the day before against the Texans. So literally the only way the NFL can flex the Giants, they're not playing a doubleheader, obviously, at MetLife Stadium on a Sunday. Uh, the only way they can flex the Giants out is if they put the Texans and Jets on the Monday night. So that's it. That's the only option. They that's they can't take another game and put it on Monday night and move the Giants to Tuesday or Sunday. Uh, it, it, it would – as of right now, that would be the sexier game. Um, it would, I, but I think also like the Packers are are usually a draw, a national draw. So if they're they are like got their heads above water, maybe the, the Texans are just such a such a blah, you know, team. But but look, I mean, C.J. Stroud is playing really well. Stroud make, right, C.J. Stroud makes them a little more. Uh, a little about, more exciting, and D'Amico and D'Amico Ryan's is the head coach. Kind of, kind of makes them a little more attractive too. I think. What if Rogers comes back for that game? <laughs> then, we're, then we're playing Sunday at one o'clock. <laughs> He's been busy having uh, ivermectin ingested injected into his ankle by RFK Junior. So uh, he, he, he he's going to be ready to roll. I mean, it's only it's only like what less than two months from now, and hey, the guys have been miracle healing. There you go. So we'll see. Anyway, Jimmy, Hoffa, Jimmy Hoffa comes out from under the the MetLife turf every every Monday night and rubs his back too. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, man! So uh, yeah, we'll put a bow on it there. And uh, thanks everybody for listening. Be sure to rate, review, like, subscribe, all that good stuff, and everywhere you listen to podcasts. And we will uh, be back with you guys next week. Uh, We'll do it. We'll do a Tuesday one next week as usual. That got tied up with the owners' meetings yesterday. Wound up being fine because we got a little news on Daniel Jones today. Uh, don't think he practices. Or don't think he plays Sunday, but who knows? Uh, so we'll be back with you guys next week. Until then, everybody have a great rest of your week and uh, enjoy the game this weekend if you are going or or if you're not. All right, take care. <laughs>